Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. We live in a time where right-wing politicians and activists are stoking anti-trans fear and hate for political gain. Around the country, legislators are enacting laws which prevent trans youth from receiving gender-affirming care, putting them and their families at risk. Our guest today, Kate Brooks, is raising a transgender daughter. Her new memoir, Transistor, brings us into her world in an unflinching, an unvarnished way. So David Tennant, this man right here, wore this t-shirt, leave trans kids alone, you absolute freaks. And of course, the transphobes had a meltdown. She could be any 12-year-old girl, hanging out with her mom and sister. But Zoe was biologically born a boy. This legislature collectively decides that legislating hate against children is our priority, that I am going to make it painful, painful for everyone. We aren't showing their faces and have changed their names for this story because families like theirs are increasingly under threat. Leah is a trans girl. I'm Kate Brooks. I'm a former TV reporter turned writer, producer, and filmmaker. I'm also a proud LGBTQ activist. I am fighting to ensure gender-affirming health care is both accessible and legal for my transgender daughter and other trans youth like her. Sorry, not sorry. Kate, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to Sorry Not Sorry. And I want to get into your new book, Transistor. But before we do that, Please tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. I am Kate Brooks. I'm a former TV reporter and anchor turned writer, producer, and filmmaker. I am a proud mom, wife, and activist. Over the years, I've advocated for causes like mental health awareness, better gun control, and housing justice. And it was not until I realized that my husband and I had completely botched our kid's birth announcement, the one saying that I had delivered twin boys, that I began advocating for LGBTQ causes. And my first book, Transistor, Raising Twins in a Gender-Bending World, hit stores August 8th, and I'm super excited about that and super scared. Well, I definitely want to get into the book, but you just dumped a lot on us. (laughs) So let's unpack all of that. Tell us a little bit about your family and what you mean when you say that you botched your announcement on your twin boys. Absolutely. So I gave birth in 2009. We did not, my husband and I did not have any sonograms to indicate what gender babies we were having. We had lots of tests and sonograms and ultrasounds, but we didn't know what we were giving birth to. When the babies came out, the doctor said, first, it's a boy. Then the doctor said, it's another boy. My husband and I looked at each other and we thought, great double bar mitzvah. Fast forward a bunch of years, and it turned out that one of our sons was not actually our son, but was indeed our daughter. So we had given birth to, we thought, Jacob Alexander and Gideon Andrew sent out birth announcements indicating such. And over time, it became very apparent to me and my husband and 
one of my two kids, Gideon, that he was not Gideon, that he was in fact a she. And she is now a happy, healthy, rock star 14-year-old named Gabriella or Gabby. And she's just a rock star. In the book, in Transistor, you write that having children wasn't easy for you and your husband, Mike. Tell us about that process and then what being pregnant with twins was like for you after that. Absolutely. So I always wanted to be a mother. There was nothing in my life probably more than I wanted to be than to be a mom. And I had grown up in somewhat of a tumultuous household with a loving mom and a mentally ill mother. And I wanted to raise our kids in a home filled with like love, stability, and just a sense of calm that my kids, our kids could thrive in. So I thought growing up, I I was taught to make sure that I didn't get pregnant. And I assumed when I finally was trying to become pregnant that it would happen. Wham, bam. It did not happen like that. It took us a couple of years. We went through fertility treatments, took about seven years I'm sorry, it took about seven fertility treatments. And when we finally found out that we were pregnant, I remember sitting in my office. I was a producer at the time, sitting in my office, getting a call. And I assumed that the doctor was going to say, this one didn't work because that's what the six previous calls had said. This one didn't work. And when I was told I was pregnant, I sat there just bawling at my desk. And I was just so, I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was one of those surreal moments. And so my husband and I were thrilled, obviously, and a little bit scared because, you know, we're pregnant that day. We hoped we would continue being pregnant in the days that follow. Once they did an ultrasound, they said, wow, you're having twins. My husband was really concerned that we were having three and kept having them repeat said ultrasound. He was like, are you sure there's not another one in there? And when we finally gave birth after eight weeks of bed rest, and I'm super type A. So bed rest was really hard for me lying on my side at least 23 hours a day with legs raised. I can't even imagine. Oh, I mean, I had such visions of what I was going to accomplish during that time. And I accomplished none of it except for keeping the babies inside me. And we had a couple of scares. We thought the babies almost were going to come out at, what was it, like 29 weeks or 27 weeks. And that would have, you know, presented some issues. So I was just glad that we were going to have these kids. And when they were born, It was probably the best day of my life. And I loved them before they were in my tummy. I loved them while they were in my tummy. And I have loved them every day since now that they're out of my tummy, which is good because they're 14 and much bigger than me. So they would not fit. That would be really uncomfortable. It would not be good. One of the things that you write about so well in the book is that during your pregnancy, everyone sort of became obsessed with the gender of your twins. It was something that everybody commented on and speculated about. Oh, yeah. Even strangers. Why do you think that is? That we are so, like, hyper-focused on gender from the very beginning? I think that's how we're trained as a society. Do you know what you're having? But why? I don't know why. I think it's almost bonkers that we care at this point. I never was into gender reveal parties and almost laughed at them, thinking, like, all I wanted was happy, healthy, kind children. Demi Lovato uh, put out a post on Instagram um, that said uh, gender reveal parties are transphobic. She said this is not about being politically correct. It's about being correct. The refusal to acknowledge the stems from the, the refusal to acknowledge this stems from misunderstanding of what transphobia is. Transphobia is not just prejudice or violence against an individual trans person. It is a belief system that presumes non trans people to be more natural. Although, 
you having read the book know that I was secretly really scared of girls because I think girls are like, can be moody and like cats and clawing. And I was scared of the whole mean girl dynamic. But when it came down to it, happy, healthy, kind. But everybody, my family, my friends, I I talk about the guy in the corner, the little mini shop on the corner was convinced, you know, he knew what I was having. I knew we were having kids. At least that's what I hoped. And everyone else had these gender expectations for the babies. They come out. They were both assigned male at birth. How about your expectations? And did those expectations match the reality of the moment? So I was just glad that they were healthy when they were out of me because the getting pregnant became so difficult and carrying the twins was so difficult. And once we were told that the kids were healthy, it was another amazing feeling. They take them away a little bit for a little bit, have tests. And I was just thrilled. And then I absolutely fell into some of the quote unquote gender norms when we had actually, when we planned their nursery, not knowing what the genders would be. We picked gender neutral colors. And still, once the, I thought boys, and I say that in quotes, were born, I didn't go out and get pink shirts for them. I generally either got neutral colors or or blues and grays and colors that I, colors that I was trained to think boys would wear. And even at that time, it was funny because Jacobs seemed really calm and chill and giddy and was just like, seemed like he was ready to take on the world and fight the world. And I even used to put him in more manly outfits. If I was given a shirt that said, I'm a heartbreaker, I'd put it on Gideon. If I was given a shirt that was a football or a baseball jersey, I'd put it on Gideon and give Jacob maybe like the softer, kinder, gentler outfit. And haha, fooled me. <laughs> it, di- it didn't turn out that way. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I want you to tell us how Gabby let you know she was not a boy. I want you to really just bring us into that moment as a parent. I can't even imagine you must have run the gamut of emotions. Please bring us into that moment as descriptively as you can. Let me preface this by saying there were signs in the years leading up. And in some ways, it wasn't a surprise to me. And yet hearing it is different than thinking it might happen. So we're walking down the street. I'm going to use the name that we assigned at birth, Gideon. Gideon and I are walking down the street. It was like March, walking him back from school, holding hands, going down Broadway, really unseasonably warm for March. And we're just having a really nice afternoon, kind of smiling, little talking, not talking. We stop at a light and Gideon looks up at me and said, Mama. And I said, yes, love. He said, I think I'm a transistor. Uh, And I said, do you mean transgender? And he said, yes, when I was in your tummy, it was a mistake. I was supposed to come out a girl. 
in my mind, my heart's racing. The world is spinning. It feels like the ground is being swooped up from under me. And yet this is a conversation I knew would happen, Alyssa. I was thinking this was going to happen. In some ways I was dreading it. In some ways I was hoping it would happen because... I wanted my child to be happy. And for a long time, I knew that Gideon was not. So after Gideon said, when I was in your tummy, it was a mistake. I was supposed to come out a girl. I wished, Alyssa, that I had said, oh, baby, nothing about you is a mistake. And I didn't. I think my response was still pretty okay. I said, oh, Gideon, daddy and I will love you no matter what. If you say you're a girl, then you're a girl and we'll help you get through this. Everything's going to be okay. And who knows what will help you get through this meant, almost as though there would be like an end line I was working us towards. But in that moment, I felt scared. And I also felt this tremendous sense of relief that ultimately and hopefully that her life would be better because of this realization. How old was she? She was eight years old. Wow. Eight years old. You know, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. And The thing that I feel like I would feel is this like sudden mama bear protective, wanting to protect my child from the unjust and cruelty of the world. Did that cross your mind at all? Absolutely, yet not in that moment. I had been watching my daughter grapple with her gender identity for years. I'll give you some examples. So when she, and now I'm going to use feminine pronouns. When she was two and a half years old, we're walking down the street, but she's presenting as a boy, pointing at women and their feet and going, heels, flats, which is adorable. So maybe I've got a fashionista on my hands. Lunch with Hendrix is a combination of whipped cream, cookies, crackers, and (laughs) more whipped cream. Given a little more time, we may have ended up with cake. Yeah, I love baking. When I'm start second grade, um, I'm going to start my own Instagram channel and I'm going to do a lot of cakes. On the day we hung out, there were lots of giggles. But children like Hendrix often find themselves the subject of highly charged political conversations. What about your pronouns? Which which ones do you like? They, them. Why? Um, because I was born with a boy body <laughs> and then I was a girl and then I was a neither. Over time, she wanted to wear dresses and tutus and love Barbie dolls. I remember going to our cousin's house and she found our cousin's, my niece's, discarded bin of Barbies. Like, And my kid was so enamored with these dolls. She went home, and at the time, again, Gideon went home carrying four Barbies, was fond of all of them, particularly loved the naked Barbie, which I also always find fascinating because Barbies are not anatomically correct, was obsessed with the naked Barbie. And really, just over the years, seemed to gravitate towards things that were stereotypically for girls. We're ultra-liberal, Upper West Side New Yorkers. So when our kid wanted a Barbie doll, we got Barbie dolls. When our kid wanted Monster High stuff, we got Monster High stuff. When, at the time, he wanted a princess pillow, we got a princess pillow. I do remember, though, at about age five, after a birthday party, After birthday parties, I think we're always really emotional for then Gideon. It's almost like, in retrospect, it seems to me that in his mind, whether he could verbalize this or not, it was another year and he was still trapped in the wrong body. So one year after his birthday party, climbing up into his bed because I was trying to leave the room that night. You're a mom, so you probably know sometimes you really just want to put them to bed and and leave the room. 
And I got, mom, come back. And okay, Gideon climbed up and they had just had an amazing birthday. And yet he was really sad. And he said to me, why don't my friends know me? And I said, what do you mean, kiddo? What what do you mean your friends don't know you? And he said, "My, my friends don't know me. Jacob got all the gifts he wanted today at the birthday party. And the only one who gave me a Barbie doll was Gila, his best friend, who absolutely knew everything that he liked. And I hemmed it hard. I'm like, oh, but that doesn't mean they don't know you. And oh my gosh, parents, we buy in bulk and we just grab things for birthday parties and don't really personalize that. Yeah, but Jacob got everything he liked. And the real reason that Gideon didn't get the things that he liked is because when people asked me, and really, we're not into gifts. That's not the point. But when people asked me, I said, oh, they'll both be happy with anything. And the reality is, I should have said, Gideon likes princesses and Barbies and art supplies and everything you would think that a girl might like. So he's finally said to him that night, I said, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm like rubbing his back. I can feel the tension in his back. And I'm like, I have an idea. What's that, mom? Why don't tomorrow we go to the store? We knew where a bunch of the stuff was from. We all shop at the same places. We'll exchange the stuff that you don't love for things you do. He's like, really? We can do that? And I said, yeah, we can. Immediately could feel like the tension in his back kind of released, tickling him. I'm thinking I'm almost out of here. And he says, mommy, sometimes I I wish I was a girl. And I said, mommy and daddy will love you whether you're a boy or a girl or a bunny rabbit. And that answer seemed to be okay for him. And he fell asleep. And I'm thinking two things. One, I dodged a bullet because he didn't say, we can talk about the bullet later, didn't say I am a girl. Sometimes I wish I was a girl. And I'm thinking like, okay, I mean, sometimes I wish I'm a different person. But obviously to me, that was a big sign about the path we were headed towards. I left the room had a lot of soul searching to do and poured myself a glass of wine, the equivalent of a Starbucks Fenty. It was emotional. And how did the family navigate this change? So, I mean, it was three years between that conversation and the transistor conversation. In that time, we were more dresses, more dolls, more presenting as someone who might be gender fluid or or might be trans. It was for my husband and I, we did a lot of research. We assumed this is where it was going. We assumed that at minimum, we had a gender nonconforming child and that he was actually a she. So during that kind of murky middle time, we did a lot of research. We're blessed that we were in New York City where we had resources at our footstep. There's a place called the Ackerman Institute for the Family, and they had a gender family project where parents like us of kids, young kids to teens, parents with kids of gender nonconforming or trans kids, big support group. You could come and talk to parents like you who are going through similar experiences. Similarly, we could bring our kids to that same place. And there was a group for gender nonconforming and trans kids and even for siblings. So we just tried to get armed with as much information as we could. But it was there was honestly a a sense initially of loss. I was on the one hand mourning the loss of my son and mourning the loss of this kind of normal, what I perceived as stable family that I was trying to shepherd through this world. And then I realized it wasn't a loss. We were gaining a daughter and a happier, healthier daughter with a greater chance of survival and not just to survive, but thrive. So we all looked at it different ways. When my daughter transitioned, it was like a win. She could become her authentic self, the person she truly was. My husband and I got a child. We acquired a daughter. She really was our daughter the entire time, but a child who could live because statistically, if you don't affirm a child's gender and or they don't express their gender and are struggling with their gender and stay in the gender that they were assigned, not the gender that they are, they face higher risks of suicidality and depression. So here we were lucky. We got a kid who gets to be happy. 
Hundreds gathered at a candlelight vigil in Columbus, Ohio this weekend in memory of transgender teenager Leela Alcorn. The 17-year-old who was born Joshua is believed to have killed herself late last month. Alcorn's story gained nationwide attention after a suicide note was posted posthumously on her Tumblr page. In it, she detailed her struggles with her identity and placed much of the blame on her devoutly Christian parents, who she claims refused to accept her. Jacob really felt he was getting nothing in this deal. At eight years old, he was losing his twin brother. And he was like, I'm only calling Gideon. And Gabriella went through 13 name changes, unofficial. She was just trying on. It's hard. I mean, we named our kids at birth. And when you have this flexibility to choose your own name, like choose your own adventure, it can be overwhelming. And that really upset Jacob. Over time, I can say we all went to a lot of therapy. We obviously got our I shouldn't say obviously, because not everybody has the privilege of being able to access a gender-affirming therapist, um, but we did have that access. We made sure that Gabriella was able to see a gender therapist. We made sure that Avi could see a therapist who could sort out his feelings with him. There was a lot of feelings being sorted out. And over time, I'm happy to say that Jacob and Gabriella are now closer than they have ever been and love each other as much or more than any siblings I've ever seen. It's still not all, uh, life is not all fun and games. They've got their conflicts and there are things hard for both of them. Honestly, Gabriella is happy, healthy, super cool at 14. I joke that her superpower is making friends. She has a social life that most people would be envious of. And she still finds it really hard to be trans. She does not like being trans. Dialectical behavioral therapy. Life is good and life is hard. She is super happy and she hates being trans. I hope that she doesn't always hate being trans. I think for an adolescent, it can be tough to feel different or like other. Otherness is, can be a thing that people don't enjoy, but she is happy and healthy and a rock star and thriving. And every day there are things that are difficult. She grapples every day, sometimes just with her underwear, the ones that conceal the penis that she does not want and that one day, she will have gender affirmation surgery, also known as gender reassignment surgery. Even though I've said to her, Alyssa, you know, sweetheart, you can be a girl and not have a vagina. You can be a girl and have a penis. And she's like, that's great, mom. I'm getting a vagina. And great. So we support that. But when you say she hates being trans, it's because she has a penis. Oh, yes. It's because still to some degree, parts of her outsides don't match her insides. Absolutely. But subsequent to the time I chronicle in the book. I stop writing the book when the kids are nine. Now that she's a was a tween and now a teen, several things have happened. We went not only to a gender therapist, but also to the endocrinologist. And, and once puberty hit, she was put on, she chose to be, and we confirmed this with her and her doctors, puberty blockers. Puberty blockers can pause puberty. They can't prevent you from having puberty or going through puberty. But once it starts, Puberty blockers will pause puberty. And what does that mean? It means she wouldn't get the secondary sexual characteristics associated with someone assigned male at birth. She wouldn't get an Adam's apple. Her penis wouldn't grow larger. Her voice wouldn't get deeper. She wouldn't be any hairier on her upper lip than any Ashkenazi Jew would be. So that bought, and historically, and you may know this, puberty blockers were used for folks who were undergoing precocious puberty, early puberty. So if a girl was like eight years old and the doctors thought she was going to get her period the next day and they wanted her to not get her period the next day and or develop boobs at an early age because she could be ostracized or she could stop growing, they put kids, young people on puberty blockers so they could eke out a few more inches, eke out a few years of development prior 
to getting their adult body. But secondarily, this indication has been approved for years now as a, a way to help trans youth pause puberty. And it can be very helpful for people who are indecisive. It buys them some time before they make a decision that is not irrevocable. And puberty blockers, once you go off them, should Gabriella have realized, oh my gosh, April Fools, I'm really still a boy. We knew that wouldn't happen. You can go off the puberty blockers and she would start to develop as a typical boy would. So it's not, quote unquote, doing anything that's irrevocable or can't be turned back. I will say that age 13, she started female hormones. And that, again, unlike some on the far right would like people to believe, you can't just go to the store and get puberty blockers. You can't just run to a doctor and say, hey, put me on hormones. There's therapies that have to happen. Tell us about that process. First of all, some people ask, how do you know somebody is trans? Oftentimes, it's if they're insistent, consistent, and persistent about their gender identity. My four-year-old, I thought, son wearing a tutu, that doesn't mean they were trans. But if over time, the kid says, I am this, I am, this is who I am, and they're insistent, consistent, and persistent, then you're probably best to believe said child. So what we, in order to get on puberty blockers, A, we had to get a letter from our psychiatrist or gender therapist to get us actually in to see a pediatric endocrinologist. You can't just run in and say, trans youth can't just run in and say, hey, I want to be put on puberty blockers. We had to see an endocrinologist. You have to make sure, you know, have initial tests done, then they monitor you over time. At the same time, we're still seeing the gender therapist, making sure that our daughter is progressing as a daughter, that she's getting the psychological attention she needs to ensure that this isn't a phase. And then once she hit puberty, because we had already done the back work, the therapy, seeing the endocrinologist for several pre-visits, she was eligible to go on puberty blockers. So it was a process. Similarly, when it came time to starting hormone therapy, you have to go through another round of, hey, you got to go talk to the doctor, the endocrinologist. This is what these hormones are intended to do. These are some of the side effects. This is what will happen to your body. And hormones are irrevocable. These are changes that you can't turn back. By way of comparison, you can stop puberty blockers and a trans girl can develop as a cisgender boy. Did you know that almost 2% of U.S. high school students identify as transgender? And that number is growing. And unfortunately, transgender and non-binary teens are four times more likely to suffer from mental illness when compared to their peers. Many feel isolated, misunderstood, or are outright bullied. There are medical options to help these teens align with their gender, like puberty blockers, and later in life, hormone therapy and surgery. And preliminary data does suggest that gender-affirming care can improve mental wellness, but many states outright ban transgender care, citing that it's harmful for teens under a certain age. Now there's concern about whether or not a young teen can start gender-affirming care, such as puberty hormone blockers. And there's a debate about whether or not a psychological evaluation is needed. But here's a question. Can someone under the age of 18 decide for themselves that they're ready? Being able to be oneself is a very powerful thing. And I ask people before they start, what are your goals with hormone therapy? And nine times out of 10, people say, I just wanna feel like myself. Once you start taking hormones, those changes are going to stay. So a year after my daughter started taking hormones, even several months after she started getting breast buds and she was super happy, 
she was really excited. She recently went to camp and prior to going to camp, she had to get all new bras because a year into this, she's, oh my gosh, I'm a size B and she's thrilled. And I often think of that movie, 16 Candles, where Molly Ringwald's grandparents come and see, stay at her house. They're like, oh my gosh, she's got her boobies. And the grandmother wants to like touch them. I'm tempted and I know that's not my place, but she is thrilled. Long-winded way of saying these boobs are here to stay and they'll probably get bigger. Similarly, she's getting curvier. She is likely developing more feminine features. I always thought that she was beautiful when she identified as Gideon. She is beautiful now that she identifies as Gabriella. I always thought the look was a little bit more androgynous as a kid. She's absolutely stunning now. She's taller than she would like. I'm now the runt of the family and I'm 5'7". Both twins are now towering over me. And, you know, she wishes her feet were smaller. So that neither the puberty blockers nor the hormones seem to stop her feet from growing. But one of the reasons she actually held out for the hormones was because taking hormones increases the rate at which your growth plates close and fully develop. So she wanted to eke out a few more inches or an inch or two before taking the hormones because she didn't want to be the runt of the family. So now I'm the runt of the family. So she's happy that she's getting curvier. She's happy that she has boobs. I will tell you one of the things she does not like about being trans is she identifies as heterosexual. She likes boys. And she's not in the LGBTQ crowd, which is often a little bit more fluid that crowd tends to be a little bit more fluid. And the crowd that she rolls with at the age of 14 isn't as fluid, and they're not the ones advocating on the front lines or participating in the Gay-Straight Alliance at school. To be blunt, for her and the guys that she is interested in, even at 14, boobs and a penis are not a big selling point. She's stealth. She doesn't tell people she's trans, and she passes. So she knows that in order to have a boyfriend, she has to be willing to talk about this. It's interesting because it's like it's what almost every adolescent child goes through, but in a different capacity, right? Like I'm thinking about my son who's on a baseball team, who's the shortest on the baseball team. And if we were of a society that was able to just accept everyone for who they are and recognize how consistent just growing up is for everyone, it feels like that would be such a, a much kinder way for the world to just function. I have a question, and you seem as though you've done a lot of work on yourself for Gabby. You seem like you've put in the work that it takes to give Gabby the life that she wants for herself. For other families who have a child who come out as trans to them, what advice would you give them based on the entire of your personal experience? First and foremost, I'm really fond of a saying, acceptance is protection. If you accept your child, whether they are trans or cisgender or gay or straight, if you accept your child and affirm your child and respect your child and their identity, their mental health outcomes are just better. Everybody wants to be accepted. So first, I would say accept your child. And also do research. I think support is so important. I felt so alone when our kid was originally going through this because it's not something, and this was a, a few years ago, the issues are not even as talked about as they are now. I would say do research 
and get support. For us in New York, that's easy. But now anywhere in the country, you could just jog online and go to Trevor Project or to PFLAG and find local resources. There are not many things positive. I don't believe in a silver lining to COVID. And at the same time, because of COVID in part, Zoom groups have become more popular. So if you are in a state or a city that is not affirming of your gender, you can still jump online and find a support group and find help and information that will, as parents, arm you with the necessary I would say the necessary information, the necessary bandwidth to be there for your child, and even for kids to form some bonds with kids, quote unquote, like them who might be going through something different. Our daughter is 10 years old. Um, she started letting us know that um, she was transgender really um, before she could even speak. She would do things like wear her sister's clothes, um, pretend that towels were her long hair. And when she was about three years old, um, she started to withdraw and become depressed. So we started doing some research. We um, talked to her pediatrician. For us, gender affirming care so far has just been a social transition, using the correct pronouns, letting Kieran grow her hair long, you know, letting her pick her clothes from the girls section. So I think accepting your kid, affirming your kid, getting um, informed and educated, and if you are able, I think therapy really is important because this is a change. It changes the dynamic of, in some ways, of your family. One of my mentors in this world said that uh, when one person in a family transitions, the whole family transitions, that's if you're lucky. You need to be in an affirming family for that to happen. So I really do think that a combination of research and education and affirmation and therapy all really help. I'd also say follow the lead of your kid. My daughter doesn't like to go to support groups anymore. She can't stand when I'm like, oh, I met the greatest mom and they have a trans daughter and I think you guys should meet. She's like, mom, I'll make my own friends. So we are following her lead to a degree. We're doing the best we can. But similarly, Alyssa, we're following the lead of my son. We might do different things for our kids, but stylistically, we don't necessarily treat them the same all the time because someone might need something different than the other someone. But in terms of following their lead, as long as that lead is on a happy, healthy, safe trajectory, that's what my husband and I try to do. I don't want to have this conversation in a vacuum. I think it's really important to say that right now, anti-trans hate is being legislated across the country. It's terrifying. Right-wing politicians and groups are betting on this hate, giving them more power because they are targeting people who fear the unknown. If you were in the room, let's say with DeSantis or Marjorie Taylor Greene right now, or any of these extreme right politicians, what would you say to them? And what do you think Gabby would say to them? So Gabby would have some harsh words and she wouldn't have the best language selection. And by that, I mean, she might start swearing at them. <laughs> and I think, and she's not on the front lines, but she would say, how can you legislate against me? This is me. I am a person. 
I am just like you. I am just like your child. I am just like, I'm just a human being. And I think that legislators forget all of this anti-trans hate is targeted at human beings who are just trying to live a happy, healthy life. So on the one hand, I would, you know, you, you try to play the sympathy. Hey, what would you do if your kid was trans? What would you do if your nephew was trans? But to be honest, Alyssa, I don't think it resonates with folks like that. Similarly, I would say, listen, you were elected to represent all of your constituents. You've got constituents who are black, white, Latina, poor, rich, in the middle, gay, straight, trans, and you were elected to represent all of them. That's your job. And then I would probably tell them, and just so you know, me and my fellow mama bear, papa bear, left-leaning, progressive, open-hearted folks, we are going to be at you. We are not going down without a fight. But Alyssa, do I think that any of this is going to help? Really? I don't know. Some of this hate, most of it stems from fear. I think people are scared of the unknown. I think they start to question themselves and their decisions. And people are scared of things that are other. Well, I mean, if you think about it, we're all other. And I just, I think a lot of this comes from fear and hate and ignorance. But on the other hand, I've got to be honest, I was watching a political show the other day, and one of the guests was like, targeting the LGBTQ community, particularly the trans population, is political gold. Because once you do that, it's polarizing. You hit a certain segment of the population that's loud and angry. And sometimes the loud, angry people make much more news, grab many more headlines than the people who are doing the right thing. It's polarizing. And things that are polarizing grab a lot of attention. So people who are living nice, loving, kind lives aren't out there to like troll the internet and tell you how awful you are. But if you're a hater and you got nothing going on, that might be what you do. And I don't have to tell you this, but there are now over like 500 anti-trans bills that have been proposed just in the start of 2023. I follow translegislation.com. It's the trans legislation tracker. It's a little bit different than ACLU, but their numbers are, are fairly similar. And so far since 2023 began, 560 anti-trans bills in 49 states have been proposed. 79 bills have passed. 352 remain active. And it's scary. And by way of an example, a friend of mine who has a trans daughter in Florida, the daughter's a year older than mine. A few months ago, because of all the anti-trans legislation in Florida, even though a federal judge did temporarily halt one of the bans they have in place, my friend's daughter's doctors would no longer prescribe her puberty blocker nor her hormones. Now, I was able, with a quick phone call and an introduction, to get her in to see my daughter's endocrinologist in New York City. And they were able to fly here to New York City to meet with that endocrinologist and get the care that she needed, deserved, and I would opine has a right to. It is life-saving treatment. But again, Alyssa, that's a sign of privilege. Not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody can jump on a plane if they're in one of the many states that do not like them. And right now, I think we're up to how many states? 13 states have passed laws, I think 14 now with Louisiana, and banning any gender-affirming medical care, and more than 20 others are considering bills. And that's scary. In state houses across the country this year, lawmakers have pushed bills restricting or outright banning gender-affirming care for transgender minors. So far, 17 states have enacted some of those laws and are considering similar bills the wave of legislation targeting transgender, transgender youth is no coincidence, and it didn't come from grassroots organizations or from constituents. The Associated Press analyzed the language in more than 130 such bills 
and found many are similar or even identical to model legislation written by special interest groups. It's nothing less than petrifying. Is Gabby aware? She is. It's funny. We began this process, I would opine, at like age three or two or three when when I kind of sensed this was the direction we were going in. And when she was eight or nine and realized she was a transistor, transgender, the conversations we had were much different. Now she hears it on the news. We have the dialogue. We talk about some of the things. She doesn't like to talk about it as much as I would think she might, but I think it's because she's scared. I think it's easier for her to be naive and just know that she's taken care of. We live in a bubble. We live in New York on the Upper West Side and we live in a bubble. Normally, I'm not a fan of bubbles. I think it's important to be out in the real world, if you will. But if it's a difference between my daughter getting the care she needs and living a safe existence, I'm all for the bubble. And she won't always be in it. And it's funny because her brother, her twin brother, obviously the same age, because that's how twins work. He is more fearful about the legislation and about her future than she is. I think it's a protective measure for her. How do you prepare Gabby for being outside the bubble? You know, we have conversations. And again, I try to make them age-appropriate conversations. We recently took a trip to Florida with nine other moms and their daughters, her besties from camp. And I wrote about that experience after we went there. And I have subsequently questioned whether I should be returning to Florida because of the ridiculous anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ, don't say gay legislation there. We have the discussions and she knows that I won't use the word lucky because it shouldn't be lucky that she lives where she lives and has the family that she has. I always say that in some ways, I feel like she has some trans privilege because she was born into a family that accepts her. We are near and have access to gender affirming care. We have the resources to get that care, even if our healthcare doesn't cover it. And at the same time, there's no privilege to being trans. So she knows that there are other kids that don't have what she has. And we have conversations that, wow, Gabby, you know that these are states that we think are much safer than other states. And when you look at colleges, this is what we need to consider. And oh my God, can you believe that if you're in this state, they'd give you a hard time. They wouldn't give her a hard time using the bathroom because you can't, she quote unquote, passes. Again, that is actually a privilege to pass for the gender that you identify because not everybody does. But she knows that it could be dangerous in some places. She does know that, Alyssa. But again, my son, I think, is more fearful. He probably listens to and reads the news more carefully. I think as a protective measure, she doesn't. As like a self-preservation, I think she's scared to know how it, quote unquote, really is out there. And as she gets older, the conversations I have with her differ, i.e. before she went to camp this summer, we discussed. Because last summer, they played spin the bottle in camp. And I said, hey, did you play? And she said, no. And I said, why not? She said, well, I haven't really had my first kiss yet, and I didn't want the first one to be in spin the bottle. And then she said, and mom, because I'm trans, and she's stealth. And she does not want to stealth, meaning she only tells the people she really cares about. And she didn't want to kiss someone and then them find out and be angry and or be embarrassed or feel shame. So we had a conversation before she went to camp this year. Hey, are you thinking about any boys? There were some boys that might look a little different this year than they did last year, because again, she's heterosexual, likes boys. And she's like, no. So, okay. So maybe you're not interested in anyone specific now, but have you thought about what it might be like to have a boyfriend at camp? And before you kiss someone, just point blank, you might really want to tell them that you are trans. Because even though she's in a safe camp environment, it might not be safe emotionally. And if she kisses someone in the real world and they find out that she's trans and are angry about it, they could hurt her physically or emotionally. 
neither of which bodes well for us or more importantly for her. So I feel like she as a 14 year old is going to have to have a certain conversations with her prospective suitors that my son isn't going to have. And I hate that, but you know, life isn't fair. It just isn't fair. Life isn't fair in a billion ways. Is it fair that she has to have that conversation? No, but life's not fair. I hate to say it, but we all deal with things that just, for lack of a better word, are no fun. And that's not going to be a fun conversation. And it might be a little heavy for a 14-year-old. And for her safety, she's going to have it. I think the more people have these hard conversations, the better. Finally, what gives you hope? Ah, a bunch of things give me hope. Okay, that in June, a federal judge ordered Florida to stop enforcing its ban on gender-affirming care that I spoke of earlier for transgender youth. The fact that Representative Zoe Zephyr of Montana told lawmakers they would have blood on their hands if they banned gender-affirming medical care for trans folks and is still spreading her message after her Republican colleagues tried to silence her, that gives me hope. The fact that MJ Rodriguez became the first trans performer to win a Golden Globe for Best Actress, no less, for her role as Blanca on the show Pose, which if folks haven't watched Pose, oh my God, watch it. It's on FX. That a mom from Florida, several folks reached out to me after reading one of my articles and thanked me for speaking out about the anti-trans rhetoric and proposed laws in her state. But most of all, Alyssa, what gives me hope is Watching my son and my daughter and their relationship and how it has developed and improved over the years and seeing Jacob grow up into a kind, funny, empathetic young dude and seeing Gabby grow into this happy, healthy, strong, beautiful, fabulous, fierce young woman. That, most of all, those two, those things give me hope. Kate Brooks, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Dear trans kids, my dazzling trans youngsters, my young trans powerhouses, my courageous trans bunnies, beautiful, extraordinary trans kids. Hi, we love you. That wasn't part of the script, but I added it. You're extraordinary. You're inspiring. You're exactly who you're supposed to be. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. No one can erase who you are, no matter how hard they try. You are a gift to this world. You. Hate always loses, not in every moment, not in every fight, but eventually, always. The anti-trans hate that people like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and others are forcing down our throats will lose eventually. I truly believe this. But before it does, how many kids like Gabby will be harmed by it? How many families like Kate's How are we supposed to allow politicians to spread lies and fear and hatred in order to solidify power at the expense of the citizens they are supposed to represent? I guarantee you that Gabby knows who she is more than any Republican official. Kate knows what her daughter needs more than any Moms for Liberty cult member. And they and their doctors should be the only people involved in deciding what is best for her regarding her identity. The hate will lose, but we have to do everything to protect Gabby and Kate and everyone like them until it does. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. 
Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry. <laughs>